Revelation chapter 21. It's the second last chapter in your Bible, so it should be easy to find. Revelation chapter 21, and we're reading from verse 1 to 8. Revelation 21 from verse 1 to 8, and I'm reading from the ESV. And then Tony will come and explain this to us in a little while after a couple of songs. Revelation 21 from verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. The word of the Lord. As as we come to um yeah, Tony preaching God's Word this morning. Um, let's just uh, take a moment uh, to, to sing and to, and to ask, um, ask our Father in Heaven that your will be done. Uh, we are often lost and broken. Um, we often don't trust well enough. But we can trust in our good Father because He is a great King. Uh, so let's stand. Thank you, Liam and the team, um, for leading us this morning. And uh, if you haven't met me, my name's Tony. I'm one of the pastors here. And um, yeah, I get to kick off our new series this morning. Um, that we've entitled Bold. Um, yeah, why are we doing this series? Well, here's the thinking behind it. We're doing this series in order to help us as followers of Jesus to be bold in our world Bold in living and speaking for Jesus wherever he has placed us. 
That's the thinking behind why we're doing this series. You know, it's been said that the world will do one of two things to us as followers of Jesus. One of two things. It will either persecute us or it will domesticate us. It will either persecute us or domesticate us. It will either attack us or it will silence us. And you don't have to be a rocket scientist to probably work out which of those is more likely in Perth, Western Australia, wherever you might find yourself throughout the week. It's not necessarily likely, well not at least at this stage, that we'll be attacked for our faith in Jesus. But it is highly likely that the cultural pressure will, is there that will want and make us feel like we're being silenced as followers of Jesus. So what do we do? How do we not get silenced? Because if we're honest, it's not easy. If we're really honest, it's not easy to speak up in our culture, in our society that we find ourselves in. Uh, this is borne out in our friend uh, Steve McAlpine's best-selling book called Being the Bad Guys. If you haven't got that book and read that book and you want to share the gospel with people in our society and culture, then I encourage you to to go ahead and buy it, make it even more of a best-selling book than it already is. But the title says it all, right? Being the bad guys, which is an odd thing because it wasn't that long ago that our culture and society looked on the church and Christians, followers of Jesus, as those who were those who did good things in our community, in our society. They might not have been that interested in perhaps becoming a Christian, but at least they were, they were, churches were looked on favourably and Christians were looked on favourably as good members of our society who are doing good things in our society. Now that's changed. More often than not, particularly in their media, Christians are looked on as the bad guys, the people who are holding people back from being their true selves, the people who are now, rather than liberating people who are oppressed, actually oppressing people by our beliefs and thinking. So there's been a shift and we're, if we're honest, it's not easy to be bold. It's not easy to be bold and live and speak for Jesus. So how do, we, how do we remain bold? If we've lost our boldness, how do we get it back? That's the purpose of this series. And I think it, is a, it, it, it flows very much from this passage here, this whole series. 2 Corinthians 4.13 Since we have this same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe... And so we also speak. Now what's interesting about that verse is the clear connection between your beliefs and your boldness. Did you see it there? I believed and so I spoke. There's a, there's a distinct connection between the glorious realities that we believe that have gripped our heart, if you like, and the words that as a result will be on our lips. You see that? It was true for the prophets. Paul's actually quoting from the Old Testament where the prophets believed certain things about God and as a result they spoke and it was actually often hard for them to do so. Some of them ended up you know, thrown down holes and all sorts of things for being a prophet. It was the same for Paul. This passage actually falls right in the context of where he says we have this treasure in jars of clay, this awesome gospel in weak vessels, and we're being uh, 
you know, hit from every side, but we're not cast down, we're not despairing, we're not crushed. So from a difficult context, he quotes this and says, we believed and therefore we spoke. There's a clear connection between biblical realities, glorious realities gripping our heart and then those things being on our lips. So in our bold series, we're going to focus on five major kind of realities in uh, the the gospel, praying that they might grip our hearts more fully so that they might be on our lips more regularly. But before we do this, let's pray because these are huge things we're looking at today. Today's big realities are the reality of heaven and hell. Not necessarily a popular topic, but nevertheless, big realities in the Bible that Uh, should shape us and embolden us in living and speaking for Jesus. But let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning and, yeah, we just want to ask for your help as we look at these divine realities, these things that you have revealed. Lord, we pray that they might uh, grip our hearts afresh, that you might help us to get our heads around them and that uh, they might therefore be more and more on our lips and driving and motivating, as we heard this morning, even in Tom's testimony, our love for you, our service of you, and the way we live for you wherever you've placed us. Please help us, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, heaven and hell. Just a bit of a disclaimer up front. I actually have never been to heaven or hell. Um, have never been there. Some people claim to have been there. Apparently it's the key to uh, writing a best-selling book. Uh, if you've been there, uh, a book that you could cost, then need to go and buy because if you want to know what heaven and hell is like, well, you need to go and read the book that someone's written who claims to have been there. Uh, can I just say right up front this morning, you don't need that book because uh, God has revealed all that we need to know about heaven and hell uh, here in his word, in the book. Uh, He hasn't told us everything about heaven and hell, but he has told us everything we need to know. And this morning we're going to look at two big things about heaven and hell from this passage in Revelation 21. So if you have your Bible, have it open or your phone, uh, have it on. Revelation 21 verses 1 to 8 that was read to us earlier. I want us to look at two things this morning from this passage and some things under those headings. But uh, two things, namely the beauty of heaven and the gravity of hell. The beauty of heaven and the gravity of hell. So the beauty of heaven first. Uh, Look at verse 1 and 2 in chapter 21. John has this vision, has this vision of the future. And he's describing what he sees. And he's describing what he hears in this vision. So he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man or with people. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them. As their God, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. Friends, the first thing we see about heaven is that it involves a new creation. John sees a new heaven 
and a new earth. And he says, for the old has passed away. Uh, Now, it's important that we understand something here. There are two uh, words in the original language for new. uh, And they can have two, two meanings they can have, sorry. One means brand new and one means remade. And the one that we have here is the second one. Not brand new, but remade. So what John is seeing is a remade heaven and earth. Uh, This tells us some really important things about heaven. Firstly, it's not about playing harps, sitting on a cloud forever. Right? That's not heaven. That doesn't sound like heaven to me. I'm not sure I want to do that. I play guitar, but not a harp, and I don't want to sit on a cloud for that long. Uh, And the pictures I've seen, it's just you by yourself. Doesn't sound like a lot of fun. So forget that one. Uh, Blot that out of your mind. It also tells us that heaven is not some kind of eternal church service where the singing never ends. Now, I love singing. I love music ministry. But I I just can't get my head around an eternal kind of church service that never ends. Um, It's much, much more than that, isn't it? It's a new heaven and a new earth. And, And it's not going to be something that's completely unknown to us. Right, Because it's familiar, because it's the same uh, realities that we know now, but completely and utterly transformed and renewed to a whole level that we cannot even begin to contemplate at this point in time. Uh, John goes on to say that there's no sea in his vision, which is a little odd. New heavens, new earth, huh? no sea. Not great news if you're a surfer, really. What kind of heaven is that? No Margaret River? Well, this is where you've got to be careful when you interpret visions that God gives us in the Scriptures, perhaps not to be completely literal all the time. What does the sea refer to in the Bible? The sea often refers to the foaming, raging chaos of the world in opposition to God. All because of sin and hostility towards God. That's what the sea often pictures. But here in the new creation, it's not there. There's no chaos from sin. There's no opposition to the creator of heaven and earth. There's no hostility from human beings to God. Because John says the first earth and the first heaven where those things were present and real and oppressive, they're not there anymore. It's passed away. Friends, this is the beauty of heaven. I wonder, can you imagine? You're going to struggle even if you try. But can you imagine for a minute a completely transformed and renewed world? Just, Just have a go. Where the curse of sin is no longer Can you imagine that? Where God's world 
is at it, is at it as it should be. It's hard to imagine, isn't it? It's kind of like the, the blockbuster movie that hasn't come out yet. And, and you can't, you know, you, you, you kind of know little bits and pieces, and you, you, but you don't know it yet fully until you see it. Oh, but there's the trailer. You can click on the trailer and you can, you can watch the trailer and get a bit of an idea of what the blockbuster is going to be like. Well, this is what we've got in front of us this morning. John's given a trailer of this glorious future and, he's, and it's written down for us so that we who are going to be there one day can, can have a look and go, oh, this is going to, what's this going to be like? No sin. It's going to be a new creation free of sin and its effects, which are everywhere. More than that, it's going to involve a new people in the presence of God. You see that in verse 3 or verse 2. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Next thing John sees is what he describes as the holy city, the new Jerusalem. Jerusalem was that city that was at the heart of his Old Testament people's lives. It was the city where God dwelt with his people as their covenant Lord. As he dwelt there in the temple and the holy of holies and at the center of the city and his people would stream to the temple to to offer sacrifices and worship God and know him as he dwelt among them, but always limited, always always restricted access to him. Only the priest had access to him and only once a year. You only came so far and you didn't come any further, but this is different, but it's also different because what we notice, it's not a literal city either because... It's described as a bride. Notice that? The city is also a bride who's prepared or adorned for her husband. And if we've had time to read Revelation, then we'll know who the bride is here. You can see her in chapter 19 and verse 7. And you can also see the groom. Chapter 19, verse 7 is about the marriage supper of the Lamb. And this is what it says. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory that is God Almighty. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. What does John see here? He sees the new people of God, the redeemed people of God from every tribe, nation, language and tongue. He sees the husband, the lamb, who sacrificed himself to make her ready for the marriage day, the wedding day. And actually the language here is that she is prepared and adorned for her husband. And the tense makes it clear that she didn't do the preparation. She was prepared 
by him. She was made ready by him for the marriage day. Chapter 19, verse 7 says she was given fine linen to wear. She didn't have any of her own. And at this point, John hears this loud voice, this announcement, if you like. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men or with people. And he will be with them and he will be their God. And that's not a new idea either. But here it's at a whole new level. God has always sought to dwell with his people, even from the opening pages of the Bible. You've got God dwelling with Adam and Eve, walking with them in the cool of the day, and then sin shatters this relationship. And from then on, God begins a process of of moving towards being with his people again, often restricted through temples and tabernacles and so on, but always through sacrifice until one day the great high priest the Lord Jesus himself comes and sacrifices, offers himself as a sacrifice for sin in order that he might bring us to God. And here we're seeing the full outworking of that. Now the dwelling place of God is with people, redeemed people. So powerful is the atoning work of Jesus, the Lamb, that this announcement is made from the throne. Behold, now, the dwelling place of God is with people. He will be with them and he will be their God. Friends, this is the beauty of heaven. That's not harp playing on a cloud. It's not an endless church service. It's far greater. It's the people of God made ready by the grace of God in the presence of God forever. And do notice how beautiful it is in verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Did you just, did you get that? Will wipe away every tear from their eyes? Who will? Almighty God. The God who dwells in unapproachable light. The God who is enthroned in the heavens. The God who we read says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. The earth is where I rest my feet. But that God is going to come at this point in time and with his finger wipe away the tears from his people's eyes, from their suffering, from their persecution, from their struggles with sin, from all that they've experienced in this fallen and broken world that has now passed away in the new creation. God, our good Father, is going to wipe away those tears. It's mind-blowing, isn't it? Your tears. My tears. Every one of them. Death's gone. No more death. And therefore no more mourning, no crying or pain. It's not there. 
not there. Rather, unhindered joy and delight in the presence of our good Father forever. Now, it all sounds pretty good, right? But how can we be sure? How can we be confident that this is going to happen? Is it just a nice idea? You know, wishful thinking? Well, have a look at verse 5 to 8. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the, the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. How can we be sure? Because of the one who says it. He's the great I am. He's the same God who appeared to Moses in the burning bush. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He has neither beginning nor end. He is the eternal God and he's the one who said, I am making everything new. If there's anybody you can trust who can pull this off, it's this one. It's this God. He says, write it down. These words are trustworthy and true. You can pin your life on them. And then he says, did you see those words? It is done. It is done. Is it? Not yet. But the language is, it's as good as done. It's so certain in the mind and will of God Almighty that it is done. So you can be sure because of the matchless sovereignty of God and you can be sure that you might find yourself there because of the stunning generosity of God. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Whoa, what's the spring of the water of life? That's a way of speaking about eternal life, life that never ends, the source of that life. You're thirsty. You're longing for more. You're longing for life itself. And you realize that trying to find it yourself in all sorts of other places is not working and you want to turn from that and turn to God to find life. He says, I will give it to you without payment. It's free. This is his stunning generosity. So you can be sure that you can share in this certain reality uh, in the future. Not because you, know, you did a, th- a number of things to earn eternal life, but because you came with nothing in your hand and received it. And so it doesn't depend on you. It depends on him, both his power and his grace. Friends, this is the beauty of heaven. A new creation free from sin. A new people in the presence of God. And this is good news, isn't it? 
This is really good news. I don't know about you, but I wonder if, we, if one of the reasons we don't um, think about heaven that much is because we don't really want to think about hell that much. And they kind of go together, you know, heaven and hell. So we, we just end up kind of not thinking much about both of them. To our detriment. This is glorious. This is good news. This is good news for us as we struggle in our own lives with sin and brokenness and the effects of the fall. Uh, this is good news. This is what we perhaps long for and wish might happen. And here it is right in front of us. This is good news as we struggle with the effects of sin and the fall in our lives and in the lives around us and in our world as a whole. That one day this heaven and this earth is going to pass away and all of this will be done with and there'll be a new one in its place and none of those things will be there. C.S. Lewis said, and you may have heard this before, if we find us. Uh, find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy. The most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. Let me say that again. If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another. And in God's word, though we might have difficulty discovering what that another is, he has revealed it to us. Here it is. This is what we were made for. A new creation free from sin and a new people in the presence of God. And it's not just good news for us, it's good news for others. When you think about being bold to speak about Jesus to people who don't yet know him, you know, often we think, oh, we just need to warn people about, you know, hell and to turn from that. Well, yes, that's true, and we're going to get to that in a minute. But there's the beauty of heaven that we could picture, that we could describe, that we could connect with people's longings and struggles that they are currently experiencing. Why? Because this heaven and earth needs renewing. And they, like us, are in the same pond and experiencing the same things. And there's a connection with the beauty of heaven and the needs all around us. Good news for us, it's good news for others. Now, that would be a great place to finish, right? We could just finish there. If you want to just finish there and we'll sing and go home, um, we could. But that's only half the story and that's not where our passage finishes. Because John in his vision not only gives us this beautiful picture of heaven... He provides us a glimpse of the other destination, that is hell itself. And again, we would ignore this to our peril. So we're going to spend a few minutes thinking about the gravity of hell. Have a look at verse 7 and 8 again. The one who conquers, sorry, the one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexual, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters and all liars, their person, portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulphur, which is the second death. As we spend the next few minutes thinking about this, maybe these words from C.H. Spurgeon would be a good place to start. 
He said this about these things. These are such weighty things, such that when I dwell upon them, I feel far more inclined to sit down and weep than to stand up and speak to you. That's an appropriate response, I think. Sometimes we can be, you know, a little bit blasé or a little bit kind of off, just off the cuff about such things as hell. But verse 8 is incredibly weighty, isn't it? As for the cowardly, that is those who appeared to follow Jesus but then turned away, the faithless, that is those who remain in unbelief, refusing to trust in the gospel, the, the detestable, those who do detestable things, yeah, I'm okay with that. As for murderers, yeah, maybe we're okay with that. The sexually immoral, serious. The word here is the word porneia, from which we get pornography. And so the point is unrepentant sexual sin will see you here. Any sexual expression outside of marriage that's unrepentant will see you here. Sorcerers, well, maybe they're witchcraft, that sort of stuff. Idolaters, those who persist in trying to find life in anything and everything other than God. And liars, those who twist the truth to suit their own agenda, those who who twist and make up the narrative to manipulate others, their portion together with others will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. John's vision is frighteningly clear. Hell is real and unbelief and sin will land you there. Hell is real and unbelief and sin will land you there. And you know what might surprise us as we uh, think about this this morning is this. It's actually hell, not heaven, that we deserve because of our sins. Whether you're a Christian or not, hell is actually our default destination. Now, if you're not sure I'm on the money there, have a listen to this from Ephesians 2, 1 to 3. Uh, Paul's writing to Christians, right? And this is what he says to them. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, this heaven and this earth, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. So they're just doing whatever we want, whenever we want, however we want carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. What's the point? The point is this, left to ourselves, this is who we were and this is where we were. And John's vision is clear, isn't it? If you persist in unbelief and sin... Refusing to repent, then you will spend eternity not with the God you've disregarded, but you'll spend eternity separated from him forever in hell. Hell is real. And unbelief and sin is serious. Now, 
the evil one himself would like to deceive us and to think it's oh, you know, it's not that bad. You know, we're all going to go and have a party down there or something. You hear things like that. But the images the Bible uses for hell are never-ending on the one hand and terrifying on the other. Whether the lake of fire is literal or not, it's clearly a picture of something that's terrifying, right? And the language that's used around it is eternal, that it goes on forever. And though it's uncomfortable for us to engage with these images and this language, we're meant to hear them as warnings. So we don't end up there. And it's meant to cure us of one of our major problems, and that's this. Minimising sin. And minimising God's holiness. We are so skilled... (laughs) at minimising sin and watering down God's holiness. You know, sin's not that bad. Oh, I made a few mistakes. And God's, you know, God's, God's, God's a God of love. He, you know, he'll be okay. But in doing so, we minimise sin and we water down God's holiness. See, we may, we may be tempted to think, uh, I'm sure we all have been at some Stage when we think about God's justice and his eternal judgment, we, we may be tempt, tempted to think, oh, isn't that unfair or unjust? I mean, an, an eternity separated from God in hell for 70 years of sin, sin? Really? 70 years in eternity? Isn't that somehow unfair? The, the, the issue is this. Sin's seriousness is measured by the one against whom it's committed. So, if I kick a wall today, that wall belongs to somebody else, and I kick a wall, it's not great, not the best behaviour. Maybe I'll need to fix the wall if I put a hole in it. I've offended the owner, I need to make you know, restitution. If I kick the dog, it's a bit different again, it's a bit, a bit more kind of, oh, that's not great kick the dog for a poor dog whatever if we kick our spouse okay now we're up to another level that's really serious if we kick the creator of the universe okay see the point sin's seriousness is measured by whom it's committed against God is infinitely holy, so sin is infinitely serious. Maybe we think, oh, why can't God just let it go? You know, forgive and forget. Why can't God just do that? He's God, right? Well, he can't because he's just. And if he just let it go, he would cease to be God. And he would certainly not be the kind of God you want to entrust your eternity to and the putting of everything right to. He was just going to go, ah, it's okay, don't worry about it. You know, we'll just leave that horrible thing that happened in that part of the world or in your or my life. 
Maybe you can think of that in relation to a court case. Have you ever seen a, a court case on telly that's gone wrong and the verdict has, has just not happened and it seems like someone is getting away with, gro- with gross injustice and, and you see the, perhaps the victims against who the offence has been committed and, and they're distraught because there was no justice. That's the same idea. God can't just, God's perfectly just. And so his justice is going to be perfect. One day he's going to perfectly right all wrongs. One day he was, he's going to once and for all restore perfect justice to his world in the new creation. And that is what hell will be. The perfect expression of his justice. Hell is eternal because God is just and sin is serious. Well, we also might say, well, why doesn't God do something about it? If it's that serious, why doesn't God do something about it? And the good news of the gospel is this. He has. He has done something about it. And it's breathtaking. Have a look at it with me. Have a look at Romans 5, 6 to 9. For while we were still weak, powerless, unable to get ourselves out of the mess we've got ourselves into because of our sin. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. The the point is made, maybe someone might throw themselves in front of a train in order to save someone else that's a good person that they value. God's love is different, notice verse 8, but God shows his love for us in this while we were still sinners. What happened? Christ died for us. Christ died for us. Paul goes on to say, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, which is courtroom language, since now that we have been given right standing before a holy God through the death of Jesus on our behalf, what's the outcome of that? How much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God, the just judgment of God? If it's so bad, why doesn't God do something? He has. Incredibly. One John puts it this way, and this is love. Not that we loved God. That's the point, right? We didn't love God. That's not why. But that he loved us and sent his son as a propitiation. Big word, propitiation for our sins. What does propitiation mean? Well, some uh, versions Translated as a sacrifice of atonement. The word actually means a sacrifice that turns away wrath. Let's read it again. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the sacrifice that turns away wrath for our sins. If it's that bad, why doesn't God do something? My friends, he has. He has. 
He's done what we could never do for ourselves. He's changed our default destination from hell to the beauty of heaven if we'll come and turn from our sin and put our hope and trust in him. The beauty of heaven and the gravity of hell. These are weighty things. What will make us bold as we live and speak for Jesus? Well, possibly lots of things, but I reckon there are two things that will probably make you bold. Something of stunning beauty will do it and something of grave concern. You know that, right? You come across something of stunning beauty, you might become a little annoying. <laughs> you might bust in on a conversation and go, hey, 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 hey have, you seen, have you seen this? H- have you seen what I saw? D- did you know about this? If it's something of stunning beauty and it's gripped you, the likelihood is it's going to come off your lips. And you won't be super annoying, and I'm not saying we should be annoying as Christians, like busting in on conversations to, you know, inappropriately share the good news. But nonetheless, it might be just behind your lips waiting for the appropriate time to say something. And then something of grave concern. If you knew that just outside this road there was a massive sinkhole on Albany Highway, before you get to Liberty Petrol Station, I reckon you'd be standing out the front going, hey, 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 don't go that way. There's a matter of grave concern there. But I want us to see this morning that we need both in our living and speaking for Jesus. Often we think it's just, we've just got to warn people about hell, and we do. But we also want to Share the stunning beauty side as well. And say, don't go there, come here. God's done everything needed for you to come here, so come here. You too were made for another world. And I know where you can find it. And no one else does. Though the world promises another world all the time, it just gives you the same old one again and again and again. I want to take a moment for us just to maybe sit in silence and think and weigh up what we've thought about this morning from God's word. Take a moment to think about the beauty of heaven. I wonder when the last time was you did that what God has won for you in Jesus if you've come to put your hope and trust in him. And also the the gravity of hell. Maybe you're here this morning and you haven't come yet to put your hope and trust in Jesus. You could do that today so that the beauty of heaven might be yours along with a multitude of others. Think about the gravity of hell too. Take a moment to think and we're going to share communion in a little while.
Just maybe bow your head. Take a few minutes to think. Even just a few seconds. Maybe you want to be you want to confess that even though you're a follower of Jesus, you've been living for this world that's passing away and almost not aware of the one to come. Maybe you just want to give thanks to God for all that He's done for you while we were still sinners. Maybe you want to find out more. Our passage started with a picture of the New Jerusalem. And as we head towards communion, I want, to, I want to remind you that the reason there is a new Jerusalem, the reason there is a new people in the presence of God is because there was one man who walked the streets of the old Jerusalem, who walked all the way to the cross and died for us there. For our sins. So that if we turn to him and put our trust in him, he will land us there in the presence of Almighty God, our Heavenly Father. Please stand as we sing.